We have talked the last couple of weeks about how we should allow love for God to compel us to love others. And uh, we discussed what that looks like and how it should be done in relation to the lost and, and uh, in, in, in an attitude of mercy and kindness and love. I want to talk to us this morning about how to be compelled by love as it relates to the family of God. Now, this isn't going to be a real evangelistic uh, uh, sermon this morning. This is internal, and uh, changes from the inside out, uh, I think, is a pretty good message. It wasn't planned, but it's very appropriate. You know, it's important for us, church, to realize that, yes, we need to reach out to people. Yes, we need to love them in Christ. We minister to them, but in all reality, we do need to connect them with our church. Amen? And and they do need to have a place where they can get uh, plugged in and connected and to receive ministry from the Holy Spirit, ministry from the Word of God, to be discipled and trained further, to speak things into their lives that are more direct and more, uh, I guess you could say, confrontational, so that we can, so they can be changed. And that's, that's the thing. If we've been talking about the, the, the Great Commission last week, being to go and preach the Word, whether it be through our lives or whether it be with Word out of our mouths, to make disciples of all nations to make disciples teaching, whether they're saved or lost, begin to disciple somebody and teach them who Christ is and to to teach them and to baptize them. All these things that we talked about last week, there's got to be at some point where they're going to come through the doors of this church. Amen? Amen? Now, for somebody to come through the doors of this church and they're a new Christian or not a Christian yet, it's very vital and it's very, 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 very. Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you. This morning I'm saying very, 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 very. It's very important that the church be healthy. It's very important that the church be filled with love. It's very important, even though I know that we're not going to be perfect, even though I realize that this, this church, this body of believers, is made up with imperfect materials, amen, somebody give me an amen on that, none of us are exactly right, just like if you're building a house, occasionally you're going to get a twisted two by four, you know, you're going to get a, a few knots in them, and some things like that, that you're going to have to build and work around and, and continue to grow and build. The church, made up of us people, sometimes we get a few knot heads, some of us sometimes are a little twisted. And, and I realized that this morning. I've, I've been a knothead a time or two in my life. I've been a little twisted, a little skewed, a little bowed every once in a while. And uh, somebody's had to forgive me and, and uh, move beyond some of my faults and failures at times. But it's very important for us as a church, not just us as individuals, but as a body of Christ, have we earned the right to be able to speak into somebody's life? Have we earned the right through love when somebody comes through our doors? What is our reputation? You see, if, if you were to go to our district right now and speak with Pastor Don Gifford and ask him about the health of the Assembly of God churches around the state, I don't know what answer you would get. Because when I go to minister meetings or I go to functions like I just went to this last weekend, you hear about the health of a lot of the churches in our district. And it's not always good. Did you know that sometimes the church can be a very miserable place? It can be. Now, some of you are already starting to get preconceived notions. Uh-oh, what happened that we don't know about? <laughs> Pastor Bob designed a whole sermon around somebody said something, now he's mad. No, that's not what this is about. Look at John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus said to his disciples, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, 
if you have love one to another. If you have love one to another. Who was Jesus speaking to? He was speaking to His disciples, the church. If you'll love one another. Now, in the concept of the Great Commission, the church has got a role in it. It wasn't just individual disciples going out with the Great Commission. It was also the commission of the church. Them as a whole, as a group. A lot of times we think, well, I need to go. I need to go make disciples. I need... The church needs to do it as well. As a body of believers together, we need to have a mindset of unity and love toward one another because if we carry love in our lives, it's going to give a witness to the all that Jesus was drawing to Himself. Remember the Scripture? said, if I be lifted up, I'm going to draw all men unto Me. Remember it says, whosoever will. All those passages, it's talking about everybody. In the church, out of the church, I'm going to draw all men to Me. So if they're going to draw, and this is the place they draw to, it's very important that there's love because if there's love, they're going to look at that and say, these are the disciples of Jesus Christ. In other words, saying love is the defining factor in what's going to clarify and put the stamp of approval in their mind that this is real. Now, if our churches aren't healthy, that means we're not operating together. And if there's a a machine that's in 14 different pieces that refuse to work together, that's going to be a, a machine that's not very productive. Likewise, if you're a crew and you're running a construction job somewhere and you go out there and you've got 25 different guys and all those guys hate each other, nobody wants to work with each other, it's not going to be a very efficient job. And it's the same within the church. If there's no companionship, if there's no love, if there's an attitude of of just uh, aggression and anger toward one another and, and problems, the church is going to be ineffective in this great commission. If you keep your thumb there where you're at, turn to 2 Timothy Chapter 3, keep your thumb in 1 John or put a bookmark or stick your bulletin in there or, or something. See how I got you to sneak your bulletin into your Bible so you'll take it home with you and pray for people? That was quick, wasn't it? 2 Timothy chapter 3. It is vital for us in the day and age that we live as a church to be able to look at the person next to you at the pew or in the pew in front of you or the pew behind you or the people you greet when you come in and out of the doors of this church, it is vital in this day and age that we love each other. Amen. And I'll show you why. 2 Timothy 3 says this, and we've all read this. Chapter, verse 1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, Wow, there's not a whole lot of love going on, is there? Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. There's a whole lot of love going on, but it's all for selfish things. They're covetous. They want everything everybody else has. Lovers of their own selves. They're unthankful, unholy. They're they're disobedient to parents. All these types of things are all full of of self-love. Do we live in a world that's full of self-love right now? Pleasure. Whatever matters to me. That's the most important thing. My feelings, my opinion, my desires, what I want. I want it now. And I'm going to do whatever I can to get it. I don't care who I walk on to get it. That's what I'm going to do. Listen, church, if people come into this building and they see that behavior, do you think that familiarity is going to make them happy to be here? 
Some would say, well, if you like the world, the world will be comfortable in it. Listen, they're coming in here looking for a refuge, not familiarity. You see, the world, we live in and around a bunch of very sick, spiritually sick and dying people, and they don't even know it. If the world is destroying lives and the church has got the answer in Jesus Christ, we better look more like Him than we do the world. And I don't just mean by what we wear. Okay? I don't just mean we need to come in here with a suit and tie on or we need to look better or our hair needs to be cut and we need to... No, 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 no. I'm talking about coming in here and in our hearts and our lives, our words, our actions, the things we say, the things we do should look like Jesus Christ because if they don't, they're going to say there is no God. And you say, why would I say that? Why would you say, Pastor Bob, that when people come in our church and they see these things and they say there is no God? Go ahead and turn to 1 John chapter 4 with me. Keep, keep, keep uh, John chapter 13 still, but turn to 1 John chapter 4. Listen to me, though, while you're turning. There's a, we have to understand that the first thing God did in creation was is He separated light from dark. Dark and light cannot coexist. They can't be together. Light is always going to disperse and drive away darkness. You see, darkness is what the world carries within itself. We are to be a city on a hill. We are to be a light. We are to be the ones that carry Jesus Christ so that when others come out of the darkness, they can finally see. But when they come into the church and there's just as much darkness as there is in the world, they say, there is no God. There is no God. Why? Because because they have within them this internal reality that they recognize God. Even though they say that God does not exist, they're looking for Him. Even though they they say there, there, there is no proof of God, they can walk into a church... And they can see people arguing and fighting and backbiting and they say, God is not in that. Why? How do they know that there is God or there isn't God? Because God is love and they never have heard that, but their spirits know it. Their spirits know it. Look at this. John 4, 6 says in verse 16. 1 John 4, 6. I'm sorry. Verse 16, not 4, 6. I am so sorry. 16. I forgot to put the one in front of my 6. And we have known and believed the God, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because he is. So are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loved not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loves his brother also. And you say, why would you say that? Because this is the internal thing. God is love. Now, now we all know we're Pentecostal. I know. And you think Pastor Bob bashes Pentecostal. I don't bash Pentecostal. I've grown up in this church, okay? I pray in tongues. I, I lay hands on the sick. We anoint people with oil. We believe, okay? 
But there's, there's this misconception in the, in the Pentecostal realm and world, okay? And I'm not saying just here in our church or even that it is in our church, but through extreme charismatic things, through everything. Here's the mentality, and I'll tell you what it is. People will come in. They'll see displays of signs and wonders. They'll see people healed. They'll see people talk in tongues. They'll see all this stuff happen in front of them, and then they'll believe. Church, all those things are important, and that, that there's some truth in that. But if it's done without love, it's detestable. If it's done without a real genuine heart to see people come to Christ, it's disgusting. You may say, why is that? Listen, there are cultures all around this world that has witch doctors, that have demonic uh, spirits that they worship, and all kinds of voodoo and other things where people will go into a trance and utter and babble. The enemy can mimic the things of God. The signs. You don't believe me? You don't believe me? A couple of places quickly. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Matthew 24.24. These are Jesus' words. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive, deceive the very elect. Listen, we can do things and not do it in love. And when people come to a church and see people speaking in tongues and then go out to a restaurant and, and talk about their pastor or the person next to them or spread gossip and slander, people that don't believe Christ say there is no God. There's no love. You say, what's the point? The point is this. The enemy poses as an angel of light. True? But there's one thing he cannot do. He can't love. You feel that? You feel that in the Holy Spirit? He can't love. Do you want to know how to discern between somebody operating in the gifts genuinely and somebody operating in a false spirit? Love. Love. If you're operating gifts in this church and you go out and you slander people, sweetheart, man, whoever you are, I'm going to tell you what, you are not operating in love and you are not operating in the Holy Spirit. You're operating in flesh. And it's got to stop. I'm not saying anybody is, I'm just saying generally. <laughs> I'm going to have 15 people in my office screaming at me. But do you understand that? Do we grasp that this morning? I, I, there was, a, there was a, a man that was ministering, great move of God, revival, woo-hoo-hoo. and people got mad at me because I wasn't excited about it. My statement was, after watching five minutes, you wait three months, they'll show that he's, he's his personal life, you'll see it. They said, why would you say that? Me, little small town associate pastor that doesn't know anything. Who are you to step, that man's on television. What do you think you're doing talking about that man on television? You don't know nothing. I said, I'm just telling you, trust me, there's no humility in his ministry, he's too frivolous about it, and there's no love. You wait and see, three months down the road, they'll reveal what his personal life is like. It wasn't three months, it was 30 days. He's addicted to drugs and alcohol and an adulterous affair. It's a false prophet. And how did I know it? Because there was no love. Church people don't know Christ, know that. <laughs> it doesn't have to be taught. 
But us Pentecostals have been trained to think that it's only by these signs and wonders that people believe. Yes, it's part of it. But if they're done without love, they're going to believe that there is no God. Some of you still don't believe me. It's so ingrained in us that we still don't believe it. I'm telling you what, you speak in tongues in this church, somebody that's a non-believer, and then you go out somewhere and you bash your pastor, you bash your board, you start slandering gospel, those people will never come back to this church and they'll say the gifts of the Spirit are of the devil. You can take it or leave it. You may say, well, this is crazy, Pastor Bob. Why are you talking about it? Love is the litmus test for everything that happens within the church. Love is the test that happens with everything, whether it be teaching, whether it be the gifts, whether it be signs, wonders, miracles. If there is no love in it and it's for show, then it's not of God. If, it's, if there's no love in it and it's for just a distraction, it's not God. Listen, we've got to love one another. If we don't, then nobody else. And then we have destroyed and demolished what people are doing outside of the church to get people to be converted to Jesus Christ. You know, it's it's a really frustrating thing. If people bring somebody that they've been ministering to and discipling and bringing them into a church, and then all of a sudden they see somebody saying do something really stupid and they get upset and leave, that person has worked and worked and worked to get them through these doors. Did you know I've been going, when I went to some, some training, leadership training, a man told me, was telling them, he said, listen, if you're in a church that's troubled, if you're in a church that's got a history of division and strife and trouble, and, and you're trying to grow that church, and you're trying to, uh, to make disciples and minister to people, do not bring them to your church, whatever you do. Do a home study or something. If you've got four or five that you're ministering to, and they say, well, what church? Don't worry about the church. Let's, let's just meet in my home. We'll do Bible study. Don't bring them to your church. What a sad statement. It's true, though. It's true there's churches all over Indiana and all over the nation that the worst thing you could do is take a new believer to. Because they'll leave and say, there is no God. There is no God. So how do we do this? If we're going to love each other, how are we going to do this? We've got to back up John chapter 13 again. Now, obviously, this, some of this sounds kind of harsh. It's not. I say it in love and not, not with any kind of directed intentions toward anybody. But this is just teaching that has to take place. Amen? Because we're all different. We're all made up of different backgrounds and different situations. But Jesus, what we had said to begin with, He said, I give you a new command that you love one another. If we back up to, chapter, to that chapter to verse 1, we're going to see how to do it. And it's a section of Scripture that I know everybody knows very well. Verse 1 says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. The NIV says, to the full extent of his love. He's going to show them the full extent of his love. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he, he was come from God and went to God, he rised from the, sup, from the supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Peter, and Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. But Jesus, Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, 
but is clean every whit. And you are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done? We have a pattern here, church. This is, this is Jesus with his last night with his disciples. The last night he could sit down with all of them and look them all in the eye and speak to them. Now, if, if I or you or anybody were on their deathbed, or if you've ever known somebody on their deathbed, they, they don't talk small talk. They don't sit there and talk about the Colts, which are probably going to get beat again this week by the Giants. They don't sit and talk about baseball and knitting and crocheting. And When a person's laying on their deathbed and they're looking at their loved one in the eye, those words are very well thought. And those words are very directive and are very purposeful. We have Jesus in this same situation, knowing that he's going to die, knowing all things, said, look, we got something to talk about here. And we know already that he tells them that I have a new command for you, that you love one another. But this is how we do it. A little later in this passage, a couple chapters later following this, he talks to them about the coming counselor, the Holy Spirit, and how the Holy Spirit's going to empower them to do exactly what he's telling them to do. So there's this desire to serve one another, but the Spirit of God comes into us and allows us to humble ourselves to actually do it. But the Spirit of God's for power, and His power to make us humble because it takes some power to humble some of us. I know it takes a lot of power to humble me because I can get pretty prideful and boastful sometimes. I'm kind of like Peter. But the truth of the matter is this. There's all kinds of different people in the church. Jesus sat here with 12 different disciples, 12 different individuals, 12 different mindsets, 12 different uh, relationships. 12 people. And he looked at them and he washed Peter's feet. Now Peter had a mentality. We know Peter's. He's always made fun of. He's boastful. He would always do things without thinking. He was the guy that wouldn't think things through. He'd speak before he thought. You ever known one of those people? You ever known one of those people in the church that will speak before they think? And then you walk away going, what in the world was that? That's Peter. That's Peter. The one that Jesus washed his feet even though he knew here in just a few hours he's going to deny that he's even my friend. (laughs) Ooh, that shed some light on it. You mean, you mean, Pastor Bob, we, we've got to love and, and wash the feet of other people that we know are wishy-washy, fair-weathered fair friends that as long as everything's going good, they'll be our best buddy, but when things kind of turn sour, they'll, you can't find them? We all have them. They're in the church. We've all been there. We've all had that attitude and we've carried it. Jesus said and set an example for us that we need to serve them regardless of what they're going to do to us. That's humility. That's hard. That's a lot harder than speaking in tongues. That's a lot more difficult than laying hands on the sick. But it's also just as vital. Just as vital. To look at somebody in the pew next to us and say, this person's got a mentality of stabbing people in the back when they're not around. Should I love them? Yes, you should. Yes, you should. John was also sitting at the table... He was referred to as the one Jesus loved. He was kind of the, the favorite, you might say. I don't know. He had a lot of intimate time with Jesus. 
Peter, James, and John were taken up on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and uh, taken a little further to pray with Jesus. A little different relationship there. John was uh, called, the, the, him and his brother James were the sons of thunder, probably pretty intense guys, probably uh, pretty direct and, and passionate in ministry and what they were going to do. A little, mis, a little skewed at times. He was a little twisted. He wanted to sit on the right or the left of Jesus, and they even got their mom to come and talk to him about it. John was kind of a mommy's boy. But John was faithful. John was faithful. The only disciple found at the feet of Jesus at the cross. The only disciple standing there by his mother, enough that was close enough to Jesus to be family, to say, say, mother, this is your son, son, this is your mother. Those people in the church, those that we're close to, those that, we're, that we have a really close relationship with, those are easy to serve. Those, ones that, those are the ones we come through the door, the Johns we come to, and those are the first ones we're drawn to to come talk to them and see how they're doing. Because we know they're going to be there for us. We know that, that through our trial, our time of suffering, our time of hurt, those are the ones that are going to call us on the phone. Those are the ones that are going to show up and visit us in the hospital. Those are the ones that are going to carry food in. Those are the ones that are going to ask questions, are going to pray with us. It's easy to love the Johns of the world. Amen, Uncle John? It's easy to love the Johns of the world. The ones that are faithful, the ones that are friendly. But we also have to love the Thomases of the world. Thomas the pessimistic doubter. Thomas the one where the disciples, the ten, had, had been in there and they said, Hey, we've seen. I still love you, Tom. I'm not talking about you, buddy. <laughs> we've seen Jesus. And he said, Well, I just can't, I can't believe that. I'm just not going to believe that. But we've seen him. I can't, I'm not going to believe it till I put my hands in his side and my hands in his hands. I'm just not going to believe it. Well, Jesus showed up and straightened him out. And he said, my Lord, my God, <laughs> you know. There was another time that Thomas was really pessimistic. Jesus said, Lazarus has died and I, I've got to go raise him from the dead. And, and uh, they told Jesus, you can't go back to Judea. You can't do that. And then Thomas said, well, let us all just go die with him. <laughs> The church has got Thomases in it, amen? There's times that there's the pessimistic view of everything. Everything's negative. Oh my goodness, we're going to change the carpet? We, 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 we can't change the carpet! <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we change? Change, period. Are you kidding me? That'll never work. Listen. Jesus washed Thomas' feet. Jesus washed Thomas' feet. He knew where he's coming from. He knew what was inside of him, and he loved him regardless. Listen, people are going to say and do things. Everybody's going to have an opinion. That's why I said that thing you're going to send back with your opinions. It's okay. And even if you put something negative, it doesn't make you a Thomas. It just We have to understand that we look at things and we love people for who they are. If somebody's pessimistic and they don't like the decisions that I or the church board makes, I'm going to still love them. If they get mad and upset and frustrated and pessimistic and say, well, this isn't going to work and that's horrible, now our church is going to be blah, 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 and they go around and they say things and do things, you know what? If they go in the hospital, I'm going to be there to visit them. If they're sick or hurt of their kids or needing prayer, I'm going to pray for them. It doesn't matter. I'm going to love them. And I encourage you that if people have offended you because they've been pessimistic and negative, listen, this thing is so much bigger than a negative attitude. Amen. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the work of God, the plan of God is so much bigger than a, than a few knotheads, okay? It's bigger than that. 
Not, hard, not head meaning hard head because knots are hard. I've been there before, so it's okay. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. It's bigger than that. And if people have a negative opinion about things, I hope Jesus walks in the room and they go, my Lord, my God, wake up from it. But on the other side, it's good to have pessimists because they hold back the optimists of the world that want to just do everything right now. And it's all going to work. So there's a healthy balance there. Pessimists don't hate the optimists. Optimists don't hate the pessimists. Thank God for each other. And know that God is working and love one another through that. I need to move on. Matthew. Matthew is a, I'm not going to go through all 12, so don't get afraid. Matthew is a former publican, a tax collector, or as I like to call legalized thievery. It still goes on in our nation today, uh, taxes. But he was hated by the Jews. He was seen as a traitor to the Roman government. Nobody liked Matthew. Nobody. If you were a tax collector, you were as good as a, just a dog. They, they didn't like you. You were a thief. You were no good. No, who likes to pay their taxes? Nobody likes it. We do it because I know we have to, and, and it does do some good. It's just apparently we're doing a lot of good anymore. I don't know, but he's, he, he was the guy that nobody liked. His, his history was bad enough that his name was changed from Levi to Matthew. Levi meaning... Adhesion. Matthew means gift of God. And you may say, what's your point with this? Listen, there may be people in our church that have had checkered pasts that nobody's proud of. There are people in churches that, that have had sinful lives and things that they aren't proud of. Does that mean we don't love them? Does that mean we're afraid to be seen with them? Jesus went to Matthew's house and ate. And he got scolded for it. What are you doing eating with publicans and sinners? Like I said, I do it every Thursday over at the school almost. So. You know, I had a friend, I had a guy I met, a guy I knew, that at the time he was, he was on drugs. Um, and he did not know the Lord. And, and I told him, I said, hey man, I said, I'm going to go buy you some lunch. He said, really? I said, yeah, so let's go have some lunch. He said, he said, all right. So we went up to Vickery's restaurant and... Um, is he and I sitting at a table together, and uh, he was sitting there and, and talking to me and everything, and, and somebody came up and said hello. Hey, Bob, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. How you doing? We talked, and then somebody else came up, and there's like two or three people in there that I happen to know, and come up and talk to me, and he's sitting across the table. He starts getting all shifty, moving napkins and drinking his drink and moving stuff. And he looked at me, and he said, hey, uh, man, if, we didn't have to come here. We can go somewhere else if you want. I said, why would we go somewhere else? He said, you want to go to a drive-up or something? We can just get something and run out to Wendy's or something and hit that. I said, why would you say that? He said, well, he said, you're, you're really well-known here in town. And he said, I, I just didn't figure you'd want people seeing you with me. I said, no. I said, you're my friend, aren't you? He said, yeah. I said, I don't have any problem meeting with you. I said, who cares what they think? They know me. They know me. Surely they're not going to look at me and say, Pastor Bob must be doing drugs. He's with so-and-so. At the time, I don't even think I was a pastor. I wasn't even a pastor at the time, but still, I, what? You know, we've got to love people beyond what their past was. Jesus washed Matthew's feet, regardless of who he was in the past, regardless of what he had said, regardless of what he had stolen in the past. Jesus had forgiven him. Jesus wasn't ashamed to be seen with him in public. We also need to love people regardless of who they have been. 
Judas Iscariot was at that table. And Judas got his feet washed. Judas got his feet washed by Jesus. Some of you right now are thinking, well, didn't Judas run out? No, he ran out after this. Read down a little further. They took communion together and then Judas ran out. Judas got his feet washed by the Savior. The one that he had already set up to turn over, to die. The one he had sold out. The one he had looked in the eye every day and then said, I'm going to sell him out. He washed his feet. There's a man in our community that when, when I was candidating, he heard I was going to be candidate and went around and basically said, if that man's elected, then that church basically is going to go to hell. I'd wash their feet. You know why? Because, listen, church, this is... If people do something, there's a reason for it. And it's not you. It's because there is no love within them. They themselves don't know God. If you look at me and say, I hope you fail. I hope you are destroyed. I hope this church fails. Listen, why are you here? There's no love of God in you. You either need to repent and be saved... Or go somewhere else and hate. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, I don't feel like those people are in here. It's just the mentality. Listen, if somebody hates you and they're in this building, if somebody hopes that you are destroyed in some way, shape, or form, wash their feet. Look them in the eye every time you come in the door and smile at them and say, I'm praying for you. God bless you. Not with sarcasm, not with anger, not with manipulation, but to allow God to give you a burden for people who don't know Him. And there's a lot of Christians out there that think they know God and are full of anger and vengeance and violence and they have no idea who He is. They're lost. Jesus said, if we're going to do this great commission, if we're going to be effective and we're going to reach the multitudes, and all these people are going to come to me, my church has got to be healthy. And basically, they're going to know you're my disciples based upon whether or not you love each other. It wasn't an option for Jesus. He didn't sit there and say, Judas, I need to know that you love me before I can wash your feet. He already knew Judas had his own plans. He didn't look at Matthew and say, Matthew, I know your past, but I need you to make sure that you love me before I wash your feet. He didn't look at Peter and say, Peter, I know that you're going to make mistakes, but I need you to make sure you love me before I wash your feet. He didn't do that to any of them. He washed their feet despite who they are. He washed their feet. And yet, we're so funny, church. We we think people have to earn our love before we can give it to them. So-and-so said this to me, so I'm not going to do that for them. Why should I do this for them? Why should I? People say, Pastor Bob, I just don't know how you do it. People say things and people do things. Listen, the love that Christ has put in me is is not conditional upon what people do to me. It's conditional upon the fact that He is who He is and I am who He's called me to be. And that love that is within me has been given to me to be given away unconditionally. Whether that means discipline, whether that means a loving hug, a look in the eye, kind word instructional word, whatever that is, that love has been placed within me to be given unconditionally. Just as it was given to us 
unconditionally. If our church, if we, the church, if we, the body, if we, the people of God, can grasp this concept, if we can grasp this whole thing, we've been talking about being compelled by love. The church compelled by love to love one another in this room. And I'm not even saying love me. I'm saying love one another. If you'll love one another, we will fulfill the Great Commission and we will fulfill the call that God has placed on our church in this community. We will. We will. Because you going out and showing love to the lost and ministering and making disciples, bringing them here to be baptized and taught as they're in these doors, all of a sudden they're going to see in this building, hey, there's 160, 170, 180 people here that are doing the exact same thing that this person was doing when they brought me here. There is a God. There is a God. Families are dysfunctional. Homes are dysfunctional. Husbands and wives can't live together. Husbands and wives are divorced. Children are sent off different places. And all of a sudden, it's all been destroyed and decimated. And when the church of God is decimated and destroyed, they say there is no God. But if it's come together, they go, wow, that's something special. I don't see that every day. My family can't even get along. You tell me there's 180 different people here from different homes that love each other regardless of what they've done or said. Oh my goodness, there's a God. And I believe even church people will be convinced of that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not our responsibility when somebody says or does something that we don't like or something that we don't approve of. It's not our responsibility to sit down and say, hey, you didn't do that, therefore you didn't earn my love. We love. Verse 13 of chapter 13 says, you call me master and Lord. You say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy. Happy are ye if you do them. Happy. I'm happy to humble myself and to serve people even though they've said and done things to me. (laughs) That goes totally against all the philosophies of this world, doesn't it? The self-help gurus that say you just need to be happy. You'll be happy if you stop thinking about yourself all the time. My, you know, there are people a lot of times they think about themselves so much, their life is so miserable, it's no wonder they're depressed. <laughs> you know? Think about other people. Love on them. Give what you have. Jesus said, if you do this, and he wasn't just talking about washing feet. That would be nasty. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to come in here and take your shoes off and wash everybody's feet. Every Let's not do that. Let's use it like Jesus said it was. It's a picture. It's a symbol. When they come in, let's humble ourselves. Jesus, the creator of the universe, humbled himself to a servant position. And if we are servants, shouldn't we also serve? He showed them the full extent of his love. And that's not easy to do when we're called to love our enemies. Last verse, and I'm closing, I'm done. Matthew 5, verse 43 says, You have heard that 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 it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Jesus saying this, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? 
Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Perfection comes when we love people. A form of the perfection of God, a form of the Spirit of God working in our lives comes when we love each other in this place. Again, I'll remind you that this isn't just because of something that's been said or done. That's not how I do things. It's not. This message this morning has is, is been led by the Spirit of God for the last month or so in preparation for things. And we just, I mean, we talked about being compelled by love for the lost and the Great Commission. And we've been, we've been talking about now today being compelled to love one another within the church. And next week we're going to be talking about being compelled to love one another in, in our homes. It's, it's, it's part of a picture, church. When there's division in these areas, and love is removed, they say there is no God because they don't see love, genuine love, love that's not used as usury, love that's, that's not used for manipulation, love that's not physical, love that they don't, they're so consumed with what the world says love is that they're curious to see who this God is that we say he is. If we say God is love, then we need to exemplify some love in our lives, some patience, some gentleness, some goodness, some goodness, 